Today's Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 15. And it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all of these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation and punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go out to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites and Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kian. That was uh, just a fabulous uh, reading that you brought to us this morning. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, My name is Fiona Blair, and for those of you who um, don't know me, I am the new Associate Minister here at New Life Rabina. (laughs) I've just recently joined the team. Um, coming up from Sydney uh, just over a month ago with my husband Mike and one of our three children, Georgia, who's in year 11. And we left behind uh, two of our kids, Georgia's older siblings, Hannah, who's uh, 19, and Harry, who's 21. They're both um, full-time uni students and have part-time jobs and also um, have some great established church networks and um, 
a, a church that they love and serve in back in Sydney. So we've really um, affirmed that in them. And whilst we miss them terribly, um, it's Mike and I and Georgia that are able to just be part of this family and part of this journey with you. And we're extremely excited about that. And it is actually a huge joy for me to be sharing God's word with you today. So um, may we just pray. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that it is alive. It is sharper than any double-edged sword that is able to divide soul and spirit and judge within us the attitudes of our heart. We thank you for what you would have to say to us today, God. I ask that you would work in and through me as we share from Scripture. I ask that you would give us all hearts to receive what you have for us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So, by faith. That's our, um, that's our series that we are doing at the moment. We've just begun, really. But if I can recap for a moment, from Genesis chapter 1 through to Genesis chapter 12, the story has been narrowing down, if you like, uh, to concentrate on one central figure, who is Abraham. And he's the ancestor of the people of God, chosen by God for a special task in God's plan for history. The story of Abraham comes immediately after the story of the Tower of Babel. And actually, that story of the Tower of Babel uh, paints a pretty dark picture of human pride and ambition. Um, and in contrast to the ambitious builders at Babel who aspire to make a great name for themselves, um, it is promised that God would make a great name of Abraham. And importantly, that this greatness would not lie in the ambitions or the achievements of Abraham or his descendants, but in the greatness of God who is alive, who is alive and active in the history of God's people to overcome injustice and confusion and disharmony and violence, which also strongly categorise the ancient world where the story is set and indeed to our world today. So... What we already know about Abraham, or actually Abram, as he's introduced us in this part of the narrative, is that, yes, he's been singled out by God, and God opens up a new horizon for Abram. Uh, the divine, God himself, comes and addresses Abraham, and Abraham's told that he will possess land, he will become a great nation, and that he will be a blessing to a people of the whole earth. This threefold promise will punctuate the rest of the Genesis narrative as we'll go through it together in this series. And if you happened to have missed last week, um, our senior minister, Mike Hands, actually preached on this and that you can go and have a look at it from our church website. And that just reminds me, um, if you're visiting today, welcome, it's so great to have you. Uh, if you're here at church for the first time, um, either in person or online, we are so grateful that you've joined us. And as I mentioned, we're in week two of a series in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. If you're new to faith, or if you're exploring faith, that is fantastic. 
and that so encourages me. And it might be that you end up with a whole lot of questions, and I would love to be able to chat with you afterwards. And actually, for that matter, so would anybody from the New Life family. And I think the Newcomers Lounge might be a great place for that to happen after the service. So where were we? Um, yes, Abraham, singled out by God, told that he would become a great nation, told that he would possess lots of land, and told that he will be a great blessing to all people of earth. However, there's a problem. This promise has been a bit of a while in coming. And Abram and his wife Sarai, they're childless. They are long past their childbearing years. And this is really how we enter into the story today. What we're hopefully going to see really clearly today, that the God of faith comes to us with divine encouragement and compassion in our times of doubt and wonder and anxiety and vulnerability. And that the God of faith fulfills his promise to restore us and reassures us that faith is not knowing the future. It's knowing who holds the future. There we go. Again, the God of faith reassures us that faith is not knowing the future. It's knowing who holds the future. Now, I cannot say that, the, that Abram's family story is just like the Blair family story. But I can actually um, just help you to see a few similarities. Over a year ago, the call came to us to leave Sydney the place that we'd called home for many years, to leave parts of our family and all that we had established and all that was familiar and go to a new place. The call of God was really clear. The call to go was clear. The details were lacking. Interestingly, the call came on a beautiful morning late in summer. I was sipping coffee. I had the word open. I had this view of a vast, sparkling blue-green ocean, clear and still, all the way to the horizon. I could see all of it. And, the Lord, and this sort of sense came to me and the Lord saying, Fiona, it's time to unrope the boat. I understood that to mean, oh, by the way, those conditions from hearing from God were amazing, right? Just a beautiful scene to be set up there. I understood that unrope the boat was to mean that the season of ministry I'd been in for some time was going to change. I shared this with Mike and the kids and also our praying partners. And as a family, we said, yes, Lord, we're in. We still had no idea what that meant. Exactly 12 months later, we are still in Sydney. <laughs> we are trying to trust God. We are trying to trust what God had said. We are trying to not worry and not be driven by fear. But what does that look like? What does that look like when Omicron hits, when the borders are closed, when it takes 14 days for a PCR test to be returned after a 24-hour wait in a queue to get tested in the first place, what does this look like when significant people in your life have serious underlying health conditions? What does it look like when the process of moving, of going, 
when the process of saying goodbye seems almost impossible. Well, for us, we found ourselves very stressed, very humbled, and having to admit, God, we don't know how you're going to make this happen. We've made lots of plans of how we think it's going to happen. However, they haven't gone so well. How is this going to happen, Lord? And so here's the thing, I guess, um, just in me reliving this story with you, that as followers of Jesus, whilst there is so much about God that we do not understand, we do know what God is like. As Jesus' people, we do know what God is like and that, the, and that the plans that God has and the purposes God has for us are good. God is dependable. God's promises are true and they do come to pass. We try to stay firm in that knowledge and let God handle the details. This was faith or our best attempts at it. Just as an aside, um, a, a funny little way of helping, helping to describe the way God is was in this process I was reminded that God only has two speeds, everybody. Slow and suddenly. <laughs> and that so just, just summed up uh, what our year was like. And, and actually it's Georgia Blair who can best preach that sermon. <laughs> It's Georgia Blair who can best preach the slow and suddenly sermon for you. That'll be another time. Anyway, let's have a look. Let's uh, go to the text. So starting at verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Have you given me no offspring, so that a slave in my house is to be my heir? Those opening words, do not be afraid, do not fear, they are profound words in the ears of those that follow Jesus. They are profoundly comforting and they are, they, are, they are what I think we need to hear so often in this journey of faith. You know that uh, these words, do not be afraid, happen 56 times in the, New, in the Old Testament and this is the first of them. We stand in a moment of this narrative where God says, for the first time of many, 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 do not be afraid. And God just doesn't leave it there, but God says the name. He says Abram. So if there are things going on for you and you need to hear, that, hear those words, please also place your name in this story. This is a personal word for us today. This is God saying, do not be afraid, and your name is right there. We also um, hear that God describes himself as something that we can take comfort in. God describes himself here as the shield, as Abram's protector, he goes on to say, Abram, I'm your great reward. So he's also saying, I am your great protector, I am your great provider. I've told you not to be afraid. I've used your name. I've said, do not fear. I've said, you are protected. I've said that you are provided for. 
It seems, though, that Abram is in a little bit of a mood because his response is somewhat of lament. We hear kind of this anxious voice coming out of Abram. He says, Oh Lord, what will you give me for I continue childless? And then he goes on again and nothing is said from God after that, but he says again, like, is it going to be a slave that gets this inheritance? I think that because of his age, because of some um, political and um, regional things that are happening around Abram in terms of the land that he is um, sojourning in, I think that Abram is actually um, concerned for his life and concerned of his age and the age of his wife, Sarah. I think that he is concerned about being at the receiving end of this great promise of God, but with no certainty as to when or how this will come to fruition. Land to possess without an heir, or indeed having an heir with no land to possess, is weighing quite heavy on Abram. And you know what he does? He kind of begins to concoct a plan B. His plan B is that he's kind of reworking things so that the inheritance that God has promised, the only way he can think this through really is that, oh, it's going to have to go to a servant, an adopted slave of my household. The plan B. Uh, Do you struggle with the plan B? (laughs) Are you good at creating plan Bs? I know I am. You heard that previously. Um, Friends, it is truly a struggle when a prayer request or a promise given is actually too long in coming. That's when we often like to have plan B. Um, Quite often our impatience can get the better of us. And we don't just kind of concoct plan B, but sometimes we actually take steps to execute plan B. Friends, I want to say that let us not underestimate how strong the compulsion is in all of us to take matters into our own hands and to make things go according to our own plans. At worst, this is disobedient to God. And disobedience doesn't attract the reassurance and the encouragement that we are needing. I think that mercifully God does not have much to say about plan B. But in my experience, God always draws near to us asking and to asking our questions and to seeking the Lord's counsel and to asking the Lord for help and for explanation. I believe that God always draws close to our lament. And that when the seed of promise that's been planted in your hearts and my hearts is slow to show even the tiniest of shoots, I believe that's when God draws near. That in those times of discouragement, God comes with encouragement and with reassurance. And this is God in relationship with us, with you and me. As people who follow Jesus, we use that phrase, oh, I have a relationship with God. And you know what? For me, before I was a Christian, I would hear that a lot. I truly wondered, what on earth does that mean? And I think this here granulates it a little bit for us. 
This is where we see God in relationship with us, with the ones who bear his image. God being near to us in the times when we need him. God drawing close. God maybe just pulling back when, when there's a sense that we have known what God wanted, but we kind of thought we knew better. This is God in relationship with us. But the word of the Lord then comes to Abram after his, after his lament and his complaining. Am I on the right slide? Let me just see here. I might just get Mark if you could move us along. Thank you very much. But the word of the Lord came to him. This, this man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be the heir. This is what God says to Abram. And then something quite unexpected, I think, happens. God takes Abram outside and says, look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count. For so many shall be your descendants. God creates a vivid and intimate moment with Abram. It's like God is this adoring parent who's responded to this sense that Abram's become quite anxious and unsure about what's going to happen next and how this plan is going to be fulfilled. And God addresses that anxiety. God addresses him with a reassurance and he says, Abram, for all that you can count and for all that you can't, can you trust me? Can you trust me? God, bringing Abram closer again, drawing him in, reassuring him, helping Abram to know who the God of faith is, who it is that he's going to put his trust in. And this beautiful moment of coming out and looking at the stars, it has really sort of like a reverberation to the Genesis story in the Garden of Eden. There is something of God that we meet there. It's not exactly the same, but we hear that God is a God in the Garden of Eden who delights to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the afternoon. And we see this repeated, like this sense of who God is repeated in the story. In this beautiful and intimate experience of God, God says, for what you can see and what you can't see, will you trust me? And I thought that was a really important question for us here at New Life for New Life Rabina here and for New Life Online. It's a really important question for us. But what kind of happens, as you can see there from the text, that the narrative cuts short. We're left with this image, we're left with these words spoken, and we're left with this sense that Abram is kind of stargazing, <laughs> maybe awestruck. We get this sense that God has said, I will be your protector, I will be your provider, you are not to be afraid. Abram brings his concerns and his anxieties about the future to God, but he also brings this sense of a plan B that's being reworked. And then God responds. He says, no, it's not going to be the servant. What you are failing or struggling to comprehend is what you can't see you need to trust me for. And the very next thing that is said is that he believed the Lord. He believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Again, what does this mean that he believed the Lord? Like Abram, in the midst of his struggle to trust, 
because it was a struggle. You could see that playing out in the struggle to trust. I think he simply chose to trust. I think that Abram, so new in this journey that he was on in knowing the God of faith, I think that he had this conviction that this God is the real deal, that there was something awesome about who this God is and there is something unassailable about what this God says he will do. Much later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, picks up this really important theme of belief. And I encourage you to, if you have the chance during the week, to read uh, Romans chapter 4. But Paul picks up on this theme and he says this, Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Paul says that like Abram, we too believe in the God who gives life to the dead. As a follower of Jesus, we believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. We believe that this is the power of salvation for everybody who would believe in that name. This is equally true as it's read back, as Paul was doing, into the life of Abram. Abram's seed is dead. And at this point in the story, this great nation is actually just a fantasy. This great nation to be a blessing to everybody on earth is actually on the shoulders of a barren woman and an old man. It would seem ludicrous. And so this could not come to pass without the intervention of God's awesome creative power. Hence what Paul says, Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Moving on in the story, we're kind of now approaching like the second part of the story, if you like. And verse 7, verse 7 says that... Um, the Lord came to him again and said, I am the Lord who brought you from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So we've got a land conversation. We previously had a descendant conversation. We're now having a land conversation. But here's Abram again. Abram's saying, oh Lord, how am I to possess this? We've just read that he believed, right? We just read that he chose to believe that he was actually going to just take that step and move into that place of trust. But there is still something in that heart of Abram's that's wondering how on, earth, how on earth is this going to happen? And he says, how? How am I to trust? So God, who is continuing in this vein of encouragement and reassurance, God is now going to do something else to help guarantee, to ratify what God has said he is going to do. And he instructs Abram to make these certain and somewhat strange preparations. Verse 9, he says this, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a pigeon. Abram bought all these and cut them in two, laying each half over, each other, over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. These are really quite strange verses, folks, first. Try and get our head around, right? Something strange is really going on here. There's something that the readers know that we don't. And that's when we've got to do a little bit of historical research to figure out what that is. So when God tells Abram to bring the animals, we don't know this without doing our history work, but Abram knows 
that this, Abram knows what's about to happen. Abram knows that this is an ancient ritual, very common in his world. It's a covenant. God is asking him to prepare for a covenant. And this covenant, you know, involves a couple of clean animals. They're sacred animals. And they're laid, uh, halves opposite laid. And then this, there's an image I've got for you. It's an artist's impression. There we go. And so they're laid. And there is a crevice in the ground, in the landscape, that enables the blood to run through the middle. And those animals are laid there. And we understand that in this covenant, there is a lesser party, who would be Abram in this story. Abram knows that. And there would be a greater party, which would be God. The lesser party would go first, Abram. The greater party would go second. And by striding through this blood path, each party is saying to the other, if I don't keep my end of the agreement, this is what will happen. In effect, both parties are putting their life as a guarantee for the agreement. So did you pick that up? Abraham knew what was going on. We need to do a little bit of research to understand what's happening here. Abram's very clear when God says, bring the animals, what's going to be required. We're going to move down to where this, where this story actually continues to verse 17. And it says, when the sun went down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Hold up. Let's go back to the image again, Mark, if that's okay. So, Abraham knew what was going on. It was a covenant. Uh, he's the lesser party. God's the greater party. Uh, Abraham's supposed to go through, right? According to the custom, according to the tradition, according to the ritual, that's exactly what was supposed to happen. Uh, the question for us is, uh, Abram didn't go first. In fact, Abram didn't walk through at all. I'll read verses 17 and 18 again. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. And then it's named all of the different areas of the land of the promised land. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I give you this land. Abram, it was his turn to walk through. He didn't walk through. In fact, he did do something. He did one thing. Did you catch what it was that he did do? He found a place to sit near what was going on and just make sure that the birds of prey didn't come and kind of spoil what he'd set up. That's the best he could really do. That was what he did. Abram didn't go first. He didn't walk through. So we have this kind of, again, this honest assessment of Abram and his faith, of how he still doesn't get it sometimes. He doesn't understand it as a struggle. He's plagued with doubts as to how this thing is going to pan out. 
And he keeps choosing in those small but significant ways that he is just going to have to trust God. He's plagued with doubt and uncertainty. And I think that he's concerned now that he just might mess this up. And you know what? God knows it. God knows it. Just like God knew how anxious he was feeling about not having kids. God knows it and God says, it's okay. I've got this. And so here now we see this amazing thing about the God of faith. We read that in this ceremony, it happens completely without Abram. That a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passes between the pieces. And this, friends, is the presence of God, described in two parts. It's the presence of God that walks through the covenant on behalf of both parties, Abram's and God's. God alone takes on the obligation to fulfill the covenant and to see it to completion. God says, I will be the one to pay the price. I will obligate myself to fulfill this promise. I will be the one to offer the sacrifice when you can't. I will be the one to show up when you don't. I will provide what you cannot. I will give. And nothing will prevail against my plans and nothing will separate you from my love. Both these two stories for us today, one that concentrates on a concern of Abram, which was descendants, and one that concentrates on a concern of Abram, which is land, both of which were part of the threefold blessing that was given to him in Genesis 12. In both cases, God comes and meets with Abram. God encourages and reassures Abram and responds to his deep concerns. And each time God reveals something more about who God is. You know, literally expanding that horizon that he opened up for Abram at the start of this story. Remember that the first story was about for all that you can see and for all that you can't see, can you trust me? And the second one is, to this land that I will give you, can you trust me? On both occasions, the fulfillment of this promise did not rest on Abram. It did not rest on his ability or his accomplishments. It solely rested on the power and the goodness and the providence of God to fulfill what he says he will do. What does this mean for us? Well, I think firstly... Can't like we can so identify with Abram. Can you? Can you feel this tension that is there for us as we are a Jesus people, our followers of Christ? Stepping into times of trust and faith and other times just wondering whether we have anything in us that can actually trust anymore. Only to discover that that's where God is actually the one that we lean on and rest into. I can relate to Abram in this. Maybe what else it means for us is that for the first time, for you, this might be the first time that you place yourself truly into the hands of God, 
not into your own hands or into the things that you hope for the future, but into God's hands. Or maybe it's the millionth time you need to do this again. And the third thing is that when God asks, will you trust me? Like I said before, this is, I think this is a really powerful question for us. Um, our response is, how do I trust? Well, we know, we know what that looks like now. I think that when God asks if we will trust and we wonder how on earth that's going to be and how on earth that's going to look and how on earth that's going to pan out and how can I be sure, I believe that that's when we can see Jesus. That is when we can see the cross of Christ and all that it accomplished for us. That is when we can see the sole obligation of God becoming human flesh. Becoming human flesh, taking our place that we might be accepted, that we might be forgiven, that we might be fully restored. That is for us. And in those three things of acceptance and, 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 and restoration and forgiveness, it kind of, for me, matches with those three elements of the blessing, of, of, the, of the covenant, of, of the Genesis story. You will be a descendant. I am a descendant. I am a child of God. I sit in the lineage of Jesus Christ, brought in through adoption, brought in through the goodness of God, brought in through the blood of Christ. I am adopted into that family. I am a descendant. You shall possess land. Well, what does that mean for us? That means that we are co-heirs of a kingdom that has no end. That means that we are co-heirs of a kingdom of God that is boundless and is not geographically contained. It means that we are co-heirs of a kingdom that God is inaugurating in our midst right now, breaking in, in every way that the kingdom of God is, in its, in its beauty, in its goodness, in its forgiveness, in its love, in its grace. We are part of that right now. And thirdly, I can live each day of my life knowing that the blessing of God flows in and through me. That the blessing of God is, is any moment that brings me closer into the presence of God. Closer into knowing more intimately who God is, who God says he is and who God says I am. Friends, just as we really need to wrap this up, but I would love us to receive encouragement afresh and reassurance afresh that God is releasing this upon us now. That there is a banner being unfurled of love and compassion for us to re-believe and commit afresh. So that we might receive those things and enter into that promise. It was a little while ago... Um, Actually, early, earlier, a few weeks ago, and forgive me for not knowing the full details here, but I was told that when this building was being built, that people of New Life came forward and wrote on the concrete names of people who they'd been praying for, who they would, would be hoping and seeking Jesus that these people would come to know him and come to know him in faith. 
I was actually, I was so excited by that and I saw that it really connected straight into um, this passage for me today. That people of new life, that you have believed by faith that there will be people coming into this kingdom of God that is established in our midst. This reminded me of the way that, you know, God took Abram outside to see the stars. But I think that this is a very precious moment for us to know afresh what God is calling us to do, who it is that we are believing for as part of this church family, as part of God's kingdom established here. And it's also good for us to be reminded that what God has in his heart for new life doesn't actually rest on the ambitions or the achievements of anybody in this room or anybody past or anybody future, but it actually solely rests on the one true God who we know in Jesus Christ, who is the perfect portrait of God. who has unilaterally obligated himself, Father, Son and Spirit, to being the God of faith for us. The God of faith for us. God solely walked through that covenant on our behalf. God did did that so that no matter how much our faith was lacking, God did it to put down his life as a guarantee that the promise would be kept. An eternal kingdom inaugurated in and through the completed work of Jesus Christ. That is really, really great news. Would you stand as we just pray? Wondering if you just put your hand on your heart as I pray. Loving God. Here we are, standing in your presence again, standing with a desire to place our lives back fully into your hands. We confess that we don't always deliver on our end of this relationship, that we do struggle to trust, that we struggle to wait, that sometimes we insert our own plans and sometimes we get stuck. But God, we are sorry. And we confess this, our sin, and turn towards the urgency of what it is to trust in Jesus once more. Trusting in your promises and not in our own plans. And we thank you, Lord God, that your mercy to forgive us is so wonderful and it's complete. That you restore and that you draw near with your reassurance and your encouragement. And you make your presence known to us. I thank you that we so clearly see this at the cross and in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. This is good news. We thank you, Lord. And maybe if you are hearing this for the first time, hear again that at the cross it's demonstrated God's faithfulness to us. That all who would believe in the name of Jesus are accepted and restored. Become a child of God given an inheritance in a kingdom that has no end and is invited to abide in blessing. God, would you just move in us as we come and continue in our worship, Lord God. Would you touch and would you speak? Would you restore? Would you reassure and encourage us again? Would you renew our vision 
for what it is to be a people gathered in your presence, called to possess what, what this land is, who the people are who are on your heart to be part of your kingdom, the people who we might pray and believe would enter into your kingdom and enter into that relationship with your precious son. We long to be refreshed and renewed and reestablished in your purposes and in your plans for us. Thank you, God.